Look at this photograph. Notice the man. Do you recognise him? Now notice the child. What do you think the little boy is feeling? He looks relaxed and confident. The photographer has caught his eye. This little boy sitting there quite happily in the presence of the man who is the commander-in-chief of a massive, very powerful defence force and could make a call and have dozens of Secret Service staff come flooding into his office with guns drawn. Why then is the boy so confident and unashamed in his presence? Because the boy is John F. Kennedy Jr., and the man is his father, as well as President John F. Kennedy. No one, with the exception of a wife, has as good access to a father as his children. And today, in 1 John, the author encourages us to have confidence that we are God's children and to keep living like we're his children, as his children. Now, through the letter of 1 John, it's clear that having a relationship with the Father involves what we believe about Jesus and how that belief impacts our life or behaviour. So remember the title slide of our series, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. It's what you believe about Jesus is so important. And that verse that we've used for our slide is from chapter 5. When he wrote his gospel... Not this letter, but when he wrote his gospel, John was excited about how people could become children of God through receiving Jesus. And so he wrote these words in chapter 1 at verse 12 and 13. Yet to all who did receive him, he's talking about Jesus, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And then later, when he writes this letter, 1 John, his excitement is boiling over at the possibility that we could be born of God, that we could be children of God. And so have a look at chapter 3, verse 1 there in front of you in your Bibles. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Not only are they called children of God, but that is what we are. They've been made children of God. It's come about because of God's great love. Don't you you love that word lavished? It's been lavished on them. It gives you that sense of uh, God's grace and generosity. In God's grace and generosity, he's given a way to have sins purified and forgiven, to begin a new life of relating appropriately to God. And it's all been made available in Jesus Christ. And this is true of any Christian, not just of them and John, of anyone, including you, when you received or accepted Jesus as your Saviour and Lord. We are 
children of God and that is an amazing thing to think that the God of the world who made the world would make us mere people his children. In 2017, 6.7 million or 71 households in Australia were family households. And that includes single parents with dependents and couples with no children, 71%. That's a lot of families, isn't it? 6.7 million. But in spiritual terms, when you look at the New Testament, in spiritual terms, there's only two families. And you would have noticed it in the Bible reading, that there's the children of God and there's the children of the devil. Now, that's a bit puzzling, maybe, and certainly confronting. In God's eyes, you're either his child or the devil's child. Now, what does that mean? It can sort of be hard to get our heads around that idea. And I think it's because we sort of tend to imagine the devil's child will be some demon-possessed killer in a horror movie. But that's because we underestimate how offensive sin is to God. Basically, if a person lives their life in rebellion to God, they're not his child, they're the devil's child because the devil has always lived in rebellion to God. And by rebellion, I don't mean when people shout angry obscenities at God. Not many do that. No, rebellion is just not recognising our creator's ownership rights over us. It's just living life as if God doesn't really matter much, just not caring about pleasing him or about acknowledging that he has any say in the world or in your life. So there are many in our world, even sadly in our own families, who John would label children of the devil. Of course, being a child of God is no reason for us to have personal pride Because notice, we've been made children of God because of God's great love. It's not because of our superior moral character or spiritual insight, is it, that we become children of God. It's only by the grace and kindness of God that you've become his child. As Jesus told Nicodemus, the spirit blows where it wills, and to be a child of God, you have to be born again by the spirit. It's fantastic to be the child of God and that God has so worked by his spirit to lead us to recognise that Jesus is the one to put our trust in and that God has worked all things out so that Jesus can be the saviour for the sin that you and I commit. That is amazing. It's so fantastic that you should do all you can to make sure you never lose that status. So hence verse 28 of our passage today, page 1055, Chapter 2, verse 28, And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Sometimes when John uses language in this letter like continue, and he also says remain in him, he's talking about continuing to believe in Jesus. But other times it's about behaviour, about living, continuing to live as a child of God. And here in the first half of chapter 3, it's particularly behaviour that John's concerned with. And and John describes what behaviour is fitting for the children of God. And as he does it, he's doing two things. He's, He's encouraging his readers that they really are God's children 
and reassuring them on the, as well, on the other hand, that the people who've gone away from them, who've left their church claiming they've got a better way to relationship with God, that they're actually off track. That there are, they are, in fact, so off track that they are to be avoided because they're only going to lead God's children be, to become the devil's children. Ultimately, this passage is all about being in the family and developing the family likeness. Now, family likeness, I know as I look at some of you and your children, family likeness is marked by physical characteristics such as hair, height and eye colour, but it can also be marked by mannerisms and behaviours. There's a, a culture in every family and children naturally learn to imitate attitudes and behaviours of their parents, for good or ill. When our eldest, Peter, was born, I held him in my arms and said, there's two things about our family, Peter. One, we follow Jesus, and two, we follow the sharks. (laughs) Thankfully, so far, he's sticking with number one. As a young boy, when we moved here, and he went into year four at school, he became a child of the sea eagles for a number of years, but he was there in 2016 to celebrate the Sharks' grand final win. He's just come back this week from being in the US studying for a couple of years and he hasn't thought at all about the footy, but I'm thinking he's still with the Sharks. In God's family, the family likeness that's really important, it's got nothing to do with football teams, of course, it's to do what is right. Have a look at verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everything that who does what everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Now, that verse, doing what is right, is a good summary of the main idea in this passage. But John goes into more detail to encourage them to continue to display the family likeness. I want to show you the three things that he says. The first thing he says is continue purifying yourself since Christ is pure. A person's future in a family can affect their present behaviour, can't it? So very true. You see that really clearly with, say, royalty. Prince William is expected to act in ways that are consistent with his future role as king, just as Prince Charles is also. Well, here in the passage, John starts thinking about future family likeness for some reason, they have a certain hope of being transformed to be just like Christ when he returns and brings in eternity. And that expectation should impact their life now. Have a look at verse 2, chapter 3. Dear friends, now we're children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. If in future you're going to look like Christ, you should seek to be like him now. So the encouragement for these children of God is continue purifying your lives. Christ is pure. You're going to be like him. You're going to be transformed to be like him. So continue purifying your lives. So what does it mean? What does it mean to purify our life? Well, Gold can be pure when there's no alloy added. So purifying one's life involves seeing what doesn't match Christ's character 
and trying to change. It's going to involve asking for God's help by the Spirit to change. And it's going to also involve looking at practical steps. You notice it's purify itself. It's not just uh, just go along passively and, and see what happens. So those steps could be so many things. It might be that you'll think you'd need to know God better and, and so you'll commit yourself to some, uh, some Bible reading habit or, or prayer habit or to reading a Christian book to grow or to asking a friend to pray for you and check in with you on a particular area of struggle. So if you need to grow in contentment and spend less, a practical step obviously is going to be to have a budget and maybe moving money to a a bank account that's not as easy to access when you have that impulse down at the shops. Or if you need to grow in kindness, maybe it's planning somewhere in your diary where you actually are going to invite certain people over or uh, making a plan before you come to something, go to work or, or go to church. There's certain people, I'm going to go out of my way to talk to them. I normally wouldn't. I want to be kind. Purifying yourself isn't a passive act. It involves putting thought into how, where you might need to grow to be more like Jesus. But don't misunderstand the point. By purifying yourself, you aren't earning a spot in God's family. You're already in God's family because Christ has purified you. Remember back, you've got the page open, chapter 1 of 1 John, verse 7 said this, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Remember we saw walking in the light was having a relationship with God. And you notice there, the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. You won't be able to purify yourself from all sin. Jesus does that, but because he does, you should show that you belong to the family, that you're a child of God, and continue to seek to grow in purity. So that's the first thing about doing what is right because you're part of the family. The second thing is that we're to continue to turn from sin because Jesus died for sin. Sometimes in families, members can take for granted the contribution of another family member. So the classic example, many of you have experienced this, As the mother of the family, you've worked hard tidying up and cleaning the kitchen. I should have said before this, you know what you see on those television shows, uh, any resemblance to persons living uh, is totally coincidental. The kitchen is looking spotless. And then an hour later, a family member comes, uses the stove, leaves out some of the cooking ingredients instead of returning them to the fridge, doesn't wipe the bench of crumbs and food spills and leaves behind the dirty dishes, not even near the sink. At those times, in many families, you might hear an exasperated comment within the following hour about leaving things for the maid. Of course, the problem there is that the family member's actions make it seem like the hard-working mother has done nothing. Certainly, her efforts are taken for granted and she really has just a thankless thankless obligation in her life. And, of course, giving cards and gifts on Mother's Day don't really make up for treatment like that, do they? It should be different. And when you're in God's family... It should make a difference that Christ came into the world to die for sins. At great cost to the Father and the Son, Christ became the atoning sacrifice for sin. So how can it be right for his people 
to live as if sin doesn't matter. Certainly that's not how the children of God should live. In fact, John says anyone who lives as if sin doesn't matter is lawless or in rebellion against God and clearly isn't his child. Have a look at verse 4. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know he appeared so he might take away our sins and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Now verse 6 is really strong, isn't it? No one who continues to sin has either seen Christ or knows Christ. In other words, they aren't members of Christ's family. Now that can be a bit troubling because... I know you're like me and you sin. Let's understand what John's doing here. He's trying to encourage his readers that they are in God's family while the people who've gone away aren't. But he isn't saying that if anyone sins, they aren't in the family. What God's doing is describing when he talks about lawlessness, that's your first clue, John's thinking of rebellion against God. He's thinking of a settled direction of life. He isn't talking about particular instances of sin that that we all uh, fall into. And we know, secondly, from chapter 1, that he can't mean a real child of God never commits a single sin. You know he's talking about a direction of life here in chapter 3 when you think back to chapter 1, verse 8. Have a look at verse 8 in chapter 1. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. In in chapter 1, you can see there, John is saying, you all sin, let's not pretend we don't sin. Let's be real about the sin. Be honest about it. Let's confess it and receive God's forgiveness. So here in chapter 3, John can't mean that a child of God never commits an instance of sin. What he's doing here in chapter 3 is talking about lawlessness where someone's life direction is incompatible with being in God's family. They don't honour or care about pleasing God or about seeking to obey Christ. So their life in one sense is one big sin, just like the devil one big rebellion against God. And so the encouragement to the children of God is to continue to be someone for whom sin is something to be repented and confessed and who treasures the fact that their membership of the family is secured by Christ's precious blood shed on the cross. That is taking sin seriously just like Christ did, and it proves someone is a child of God. So let's recap where we are. We're, as Christians, we're in the family of God, children of God. And as children of God, we are to follow the family likeness, which means doing what is right, because that's a great description of God and Jesus. And as we look in a bit more detail, doing what is right is 
going to include being serious about purifying ourselves, growing in our godliness, and it's also going to be being serious about sin in our own life and turning from it, repenting and being forgiven. There's one more thing to see, and it's to continue doing what is right like our Father. Now, some children's lives are marked by family separation and then remarriage. And so they grow up with both a biological father and a stepfather. And naturally, they'll learn something from each. They'll learn to aspect, to imitate aspects of each of the fathers. Maybe they'll respect and be influenced more by one than the other. They have two fathers. Two fathers feature in the end of our passage, but it's most confronting because there's no living with both a natural father and another father in the spiritual world. John divides the whole of humanity into two parts, the children of God and the children of the devil. You've either got God as your father or you've got the devil as your father, one or the other. Again, though, when you hear children of the devil, he's not thinking in people who are characterised by their immersion in black magic and tarot meetings. We aren't talking about a secret little minority who mostly live at Katoomba. No, it's the majority of the human race because the children of the devil are characterised by sin or rebellion against God like their father, the devil. So verse 8, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil's been sinning from the beginning. Again, it's the, it's the lifestyle, it's the direction of life, not specific instances of sin that John has in mind here. It's a lifestyle in which God and his priorities are, are not considered or valued or in which Christ and his claims to be saviour and lord are at best ignored and in some cases actively opposed. That's the devil's way, and the people who live like that are children of the devil, are sinning in the words of, the, of verse 8. But Jesus came to destroy the devil's work. The devil's work always involves tempting and keeping people away from rightly relating to God, encouraging their rebellion or lawlessness, so ultimately they remain estranged from God and face judgment and death. But, verse, but we're told in verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And he does that, doesn't he? By dying and rising again, he brings forgiveness of sins and provides salvation from eternal death for God's children. So he destroys the devil's work. He, he takes out of uh, the devil's family a whole lot of people. He's the rescuer of millions from the devil's family through his work, Christ's work, destroying the devil's work, makes it possible for people to become God's children, to be, in the words of this passage, reborn into a new family. So it follows then, doesn't it? If you've been rescued from that family, you aren't going to live like you're still in that family. You're going to live like the family you've been rescued into you. So verse 7, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. So if you receive a new teaching that something previously called sin is now okay, or that the grace of God means that you can live your life till Christ returns, whatever you like, it's of no consequence because you're saved by grace, be really careful. 
don't be led astray. We are to continue doing right, just like our Father. But if you see yourself making godly decisions, be encouraged. You're acting like your Father. And if you also experience struggle because you're trying to do the right thing but encounter temptation, don't lose heart. That means the devil is still trying to do his work on you. As a child of God, though, you can resist him, relying on God's promises and strengthening to do what is right. Experiencing temptation isn't a sign that you aren't God's child, but that you are. And a child of God is never alone in their wish to do what is right. God's spirit is at work in us. Uh, God's spirit, John colourfully calls his seed in this context of fathering spiritual children. Look at verse 9. No one who's born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. That means that they have God's spirit in them so they can't live a life of rebelliousness, uh, of lawlessness toward God because they're his. Thanks be to God for that. So if you're a child of God, continue doing right like your father. And one particular right thing to do, John says there in verse 10, is to love your brothers and sisters. But that's what he goes on to talk about in the next passage, and we'll see that next week. So let's conclude for this week. When I used to be a member of the Harbord School PNC, I helped out for a number of years at the Kindergarten Welcome Barbecue. And that was uh, an event to help parents meet the parents of their children's new classmates. The natural question at those events, as you met a stranger, as you were standing on the side watching the kids play, was to say, so which child is yours? Imagine God and the devil standing to the side of the world, looking down at everyone playing, I mean living. They wouldn't need to ask the question. It actually would be obvious to them. And I hope it's obvious to you, well, in regard to yourself anyway. Which family do you identify with? Whose child are you? Which father is your father? Be encouraged if you look at yourself and see a desire to serve God, to obey him, to turn from sin, to trust Jesus as saviour and Lord, to, to not pretend that you can do this life on your own and that you need help. Continue doing that. Because one day, Jesus is going to come back to earth, which will be a great day for his family, but a terrible day for the devil's family. And like little John F. Kennedy Jr., on that day, we'll be able to stand confident and unashamed before Christ because we're in the same family and God is our Father. Let's pray.